Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, it's Saturday morning. The shorts are up, the mouth guard is in and the oranges are cut. That means it's time for Chris Taylor and HG Nelson to hook into a winning grin on We Was Robbed. Very good morning right around the country and welcome to another edition of We Was Robbed here on Kindling Kids Radio, kicking your weekend off with myself, Chris Taylor, and joined, as always, by H.G. Nelson. We'd like to, uh, as always, begin the show by saluting the fine uh, disc jockey work of Mavis. Mavis. Uh, well, I mean... Just Where do you, you start? Just when you think she's done her best set ever, she pulls out Neil Diamond. I know, I know, I know, I know. Um, look, um, that uh, when you think of crunchy granola sweet... Mm. Look, I could hear that for the whole six hours that she's mm. just done, really, back to back. And what she's doing better than any other DJ in the country, I think, at the moment, is leaving her mic on during the song so she will hum along with a bit of... So you get Mavis mixed into Neil Diamond, which is just a, a beautiful Mavis mix, I call of it. And, um, and the great thing about Mavis is we owe her a special debt. Because um, I was a bit out of sorts last weekend. Apologies to all uh, listeners in Robbers Land that uh, you went a week short. Uh, there was a deficit of a, a Robbers show, but Mavis just pushed through. I know, pushed through. Yeah. I mean, well beyond her contracts, you know, she doesn't have to do that. She can pack up at eight o'clock every morning, but she decided to stay in and bang out another two hours of tunes, and then you couldn't get rid of her. It was almost a sit-in situation where she just kept playing tunes. For the birthday party and uh, obviously for the songs for kids who were celebrating their birthday, obviously in tears, really, because there was no We Was Robbed. But on the other hand, delighted that Mavis was there keeping them company through what some people consider the arsenic hours. That is the early arsenic hours. Well, the depressing thing for you and I, as she was, I think they preferred Mavis. Staying around. They're sort of annoyed that we're babbering on now. But what a fantastic week she had. And I think it was only when it might have been Siobhan in the parenting show finally managed to get the chisel out and remove it from the studio so there could finally be some talk here on Kinderline. But um, thank you, Mavis. And it's good to be back. It is. And a big cup week, of course, for those who have just come back from Mars. Al Mandin won a terrific ride by uh, Kieran McAvoy. Uh, Heartbreak City second, uh, Joe Maria uh, from Hong Kong. And in third place, plugging away the fave, Hartnell with uh, James McDonald. It was a terrific day. And uh, obviously the winner all round was Australia. Yes, and Australia. hats. Oh, and hats. Weren't there yeah, some it goes fa- fabulous hats. And food, I suppose, to a lesser extent. Well, I've noticed that in the marquees now, you get a lot of these celebrity shows chefs brought out as much as like because it used to be sort of models and you know a-list celebrities and that kind of thing and you know they always came from the world of show business and modeling fashion that kind of thing but now a chef will happily stand alongside a model as if they're from the same world (laughs) and in 2016 they almost are yes that's right and uh, look what i loved was some of the what would i call it the ambitions of these marquees now now obviously uh, this is a show not enough just to put up a tent no, that's right. From Ray's that's Tent right. City. Oh, these are these are like super marquees. They are. They're double story. They're fully plumbed, and they're often made out of recyclable material that can be floated down the Maribyrnong River into the sea and uh, fed as salmon chaff. Mm. It's just a pity that the uh, the horse racing actually has to intervene with all that parting. House wreckers, are you doing a tough? Nothing makes housework easier than we was robbed. And coming up, HG, in the a uh, little bit later on in the cat flap here on We Was Robbed, I know you're very excited about this. We're finally cracking open the world of judo. 
Uh, we've got um, judo champion Josh Katz. He'll be coming in to talk about all things uh, in the world of judo. So that'll be a fantastic treat coming up in the cat flap a little bit later on. But first, um, to the John Eels medal. Yes, the John Eels medal decided uh, a little while ago. We didn't get a chance to talk about this last weekend because we weren't here. Uh, look, um, what was great was Michael Hooper won the John Eels medal. And a lot of parents, you know, when they're asking you know, uh, or they're trying to discipline their kids, often suggest the child ask, what would John Eels do in this uh, particular occasion? Mm. Uh, usually the child gets the wrong answer, but that's a separate issue. Uh, but John Eels, a towering figure, and I use that words advisedly, in the world of rugby. And Michael Hooper has joined George Smith, Nathan Sharp and Israel Folau as being honoured twice by their peers. Um, would, who, would, you, would, would you describe the John Eels medal as like the rugby union equivalent of the Allen Border medal? It would be exactly the uh, the equivalent of the Allen Border medal or the Brownlow medal in uh, the AFL and on and on it goes. Um, look, uh, he was rewarded for trademark consistency in the uh, Wallabies jumper and uh, it was, uh, you know, hats off all round uh, for uh, Michael Hooper at the John Eels medal. It was a terrific night. Uh, obviously, it's a chance for players to relax with friends and family. Yes. and dish out a lot of loot and bag each other, basically, yeah. um, before setting off on, I think, um, last Friday, they set off on the trip overseas, the trip of a lifetime, which is the spring tour. I think they have to play maybe six nations mm. in the, the Northern Hemisphere. Now, how do you rate the uh, the performance of the WAGs at the uh, John Eels medal? Because I know, obviously, at the Brownlow, people go WAG crazy. Mm. Um, I think the Herald Sun, uh, that fine uh, newspaper in Melbourne, is only really interested in the Brownlow medal these days for the picture opportunity affords as the various wives and girlfriends make their way down the red carpet. Rugby union traditionally has let the side down when it comes to eye-catching wags. Did they step things up this year? Well, what an interesting question that is. Are you suggesting that in the past, rugby union's been a bit blokey? <laughs> uh, you know, only interested in men's activities when it comes to both on and off the field and especially when it comes to celebratory events. I've seen people turn up to that event in a scrum formation. <laughs> Just head up the butt of the man in front of them and not a woman in sight. No. But I know they've done, uh, you know, quite a lot of uh, work to try and make it a little bit more uh, gender neutral. Uh, gender neutral and certainly friendly to partners who should come along mm. to these events. Look, they did incredibly well. Uh, I think, uh, you know, not... Uh, what would I call it, of interest so much to the Herald Sun. But I'm sure, uh, you know, the uh, various media outlets uh, ranging from Instagram to Facebook to Twitter were delighted by uh, the whole show. And any uh, any old old sort of champions at the John Hills Middle, like did Campisi, that's Campo, David Campisi, goose step down the red carpet, or is it more for your uh, existing current team players? I think more, much more for the current lot. And I'm never sure whether, you know, like the George Gregg and Tim Gavin types hang around at these events or have better things to do with their time. Well, does John Eels even go? I don't think Johnny Eels is <laughs> going for some time. Now, I should point out that Charlotte Kaslick uh, was named Women's Sevens Player of the Year, obviously after leading the Pearls to Olympic glory in yes. Rio. Ed Jenkins was named Men's Seven Player of the Year. Uh, now, he was captain in Rio, but he stepped down from that. And the Men's and Women's Awards were named after Sean Mackay, the Sevens player who was sadly, um, you know, involved in a car accident, unfortunately, in uh, 2009. So the history of uh, Sevens rugby is caught up in the Sean McKay medal. There was um, some scepticism, I think, given the Wallabies' performance against the All Blacks in the recent Bledisloe Cup series, mm. that, that no one was Eels-worthy. 
Wow. In 2016. Now, thankfully, reason prevailed and they didn't uh, just decide it was a dead rubber and they didn't hand it out this year. They did decide to dish it out. But how did you read that one? Did you think the Wallabies did enough to cover themselves in glory in 2016 to warrant a John Hills medal being given out? I did. I did. I wouldn't care if they lost every game. Yeah. Uh, I think people turned up. Uh, they largely tried to listen to coach, super coach, uh, Michael Checker, Checker, well known as the clown, uh, across the uh, Tasman. And um, I think, uh, you know, in that match, there was nothing really to write home about how great it was, but I thought it was a pretty entertaining game, the yep. final one at Eden Park. And I think the Wallabies are known as the entertainers now. Well, they they're, are. They're... It's sometimes entertaining to watch someone lose. House wreckers, are you doing a tough... Nothing makes housework easier than we was robbed. On Kindling Kids Radio, you with Chris Taylor and HG Nelson this morning. Now, HG, um, well, showbiz news. Yes, and just before we go on, can I just point out also that Hooper was also voted Australia's Choice of Wallaby of the Year for a fourth year in a row. This is of the John Hills Medal. God, it's a glittering night, what's, isn't what's, it? Is that a people's choice? I think so. A standout contribution for four tries and three man-of-the-match performances helped soften the blow of a tough season for the Wallabies, who have just won three of their past 11 tests. Western Force outside back uh, Dane Hylett Petty won Wallabies Rookie of the Year, while veteran Drew Mitchell won the Try of the Year and the uh, player most responsible for Adam Ashley Cooper's five-pointer against Argentina in the World Cup semi-final, etc. So there's quite a lot of awards. It's just yes. not eel-centric. No, no. It's a night which is very broad, and I hope it gets broader and broader as the rugby resurgence goes on. Well, maybe here we could kick around some uh, ideas for new categories ah. at the joint. Like, you know, I think best tries, obviously, a great one, best field goal, but maybe... Uh, tackle of the year. Tackle of the year, best um, line-out jump, best line-out assist. Best line-out assist. What a good one that is. Also, could it be um, the, you know, it's called second phase, third phase, fourth uh, phase, yeah. possession? Most phases. Most phases. Isn't bad. Yeah, so it would involve, obviously, a lot of people. Yep. Most phases involving fewest people as opposed to most phases involving <laughs> most people. Or either most set of hands that the ball goes through on way to a try or least set or set fewer set of hands or, or bust of the year if you see a big uh, prop make a burst through nice uh, they would be memorable things best too. In- uh, most uh, confident anthem singing oh, before well. a bledders low cup Yes. Now, what an interesting idea that is. I think that the rugby people could be the people to bring to uh, the sport, the player singing the national anthem. Mm. They seem to be the players or the teams most equipped. I'm speaking of the uh, men's and women's side here. Well, uh, you know, without without getting too judgmental about other codes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, be judgmental. Rugby union players have traditionally come from, well, probably slightly better educated circles. I mean, I think historically it was quite a um, well-to-do kind of sport coming from the the public schools of England. Uh, Public schools in England obviously being private schools. Yeah, exactly, like Eton and so forth. And there was a school called rugby. Don't know if kids knew this, but the sport of rugby actually was invented at a school by school kids, by some larrikin, some cheeky... uh, little fella who was playing football, as in soccer, and decided, wouldn't it be funny if I picked the ball up and run with it? Yeah, that's correct. Absolutely correct. And um, never sure exactly whether the school of rugby dominated rugby once they got it up and running. No, hopeless. (laughs) (laughs) And I always thought it's a shame that the spirit in which the game was conceived no longer endures, insofar as it was born out of a rule breaker someone that had no regard for the rules of the code and decided to pick up the ball and run with it. And I would have thought, wouldn't it be the ultimate, almost the most appropriate homage or tribute 
uh, to play the, the game of rugby in that same spirit. So have no regard for the rule book. And because rugby union is the most over-legislated sport of all time, it's no wonder so many lawyers like watching it and playing it. It's a very legal heavy. I mean, not a you know even referees sometimes have to go out and consult the Hansard equivalent to see what the latest rule is about knock-ons or breakdowns and that kind of thing. Why can't we just let the players inhabit the spirit of that first cheeky young boy in Britain? and do whatever they want. Right. Uh, often I feel as though that is going on. Uh, <laughs> you know, the um, the refereeing is, uh, as you point out, a, been a big drawback for some time. The idea that you can only pick up the ball with two feet on the ground when it's at a mm. breakdown... Whew. Yeah, hard I one mean, to police. Yeah, very hard <laughs> to police. Thanks very much. Or coming in from the side, I, uh, I just that's extremely difficult because they say Richie McCaw always came in from the side that, mm. and never got penalised. Um, look, the refereeing is a in rugby union. I reckon it's the more the most the sport where the referee has the most influence on the game and therefore is trying to make. Uh, you know, success out of having these two sets of players bash into each other Mm. and find a way of making all of that work in a way that rugby league and the AFL don't, the referees don't have to bother. Well, AFL is pretty free flowing. Now, sure, you can, you can accuse it of being scrappy because it's, you know, because when it's knocked on, that's not the end of play. You just keep going until someone resettles the ball. As a union, the minute it budges a millimetre forward, the whistle's blown and everyone has to gather together for a scrum or a bit of a chat. And it's, is it over-legislated? Too many rules, HG? Well, one thing I was going to say was that the, in the recent, uh, in the recent test match in uh, Eden Park, there was a shepherding incident uh, where the referee, probably in his own mind, ruled correctly that a New Zealand player was shepherded away from the Wallaby who was about to score the try. And this was at a crucial time. I think it might have been 15-10, the score, uh, All Blacks leading. So this was would have brought it back to 15-all and given the Wallabies a real chance. But from then on, it blew out to, I think, something like 37-10. Don't yeah. quite be on those numbers. Yeah, right. Um, so You don't see much shepherding. No, so it was a very odd incident. Yeah. Um, when I've when, every so often I've been and they try to explain the rules or what what the what the decision was given for. I think this is a mistake. Yeah. Uh, I think people have to realise that the referee is in a mind and a world of their own, right. and only they see it. Only they see. I it. think they made the mistake one year of actually miking the referee to help explain some What's of his on? or her decisions, and it, it only made everyone even more confused. Yeah, especially you, the players, because you almost understood the game when you sort of made up your own rules Correct. to explain it. But the minute then someone told you, or the referee who'd made the decision told you his reasoning for it, well, it just left everyone baffled. Yeah. Now, um, <clears throat> we should move on. We and... did. We, we we said we'd get on to show business. Well, now and, we can, and we uh, and we we can't leave kindling. <laughs> Listeners dangling any longer because there's a very exciting movie in the works. There is now. We've seen Molly, uh, the biopic based on Molly Meldrum. That was just when you know Mm -hmm. off. Uh, In Excess have had a a biopic as well. I think recently. I think Uh, uh, Peter Brock. Peter Allen. Peter Allen, yes, certainly Peter Allen. And now at last, the I believe this is the one that everybody wants to see. Warney, Shane Warne's life is going to be turned into a film. Uh, Film or a telly movie? Oh, good question. Maybe a telly movie. Um, Because I don't think you can contain the Warney story to just a a ninety minute. No, I'd I'd see five big nights of event (laughs) television. (laughs) Now, uh, look, he's had a musical and several unauthorized biographies written about him, Mm -hmm. um, which which I think he has a fairly sort of lukewarm 
relationship with, meaning that uh, people can write unauthorised biographies about whoever they like. Yeah. Uh, but um, he feels as though they haven't got near the truth. Um, he thinks that he might have written, there may be as many as 12 unauthorised biographies. Uh, the telemovie, you're right, it's a telemovie. Um, look, it raises all sorts of questions. Where would the, What would the opening scene be? How would you explain the mystique of Warney? You know, that first ball, is that the one where you go to Lords and restage the Mike Gatting dismissal mm. and his first ball in Test cricket? The... A uh, young kid who played AFL for St Kilda. Is yeah, that where you start? I, I, I think so. I think uh, you open on a a sunrise on St Kilda Beach, <laughs> where a young kid's eating a chico roll and looking at on one on his left, a couple of people playing beach cricket, and on his right, a couple of people kicking a footy around, and he's torn. Torn. Yes. And while he makes a decision, he goes back to the shops and gets another Chico roll. Yeah. Well, you'd need two to make a decision like this. End of episode one. (laughs) (laughs) Then you come back and you show the AFL days with uh, St Kilda there where he played. But then on the oval next to him, he's always looking across over the white picket fence to see people bowl a ball towards someone holding a bat. And then he sees someone bowl a slow ball that moves and thinks, ooh, that talks to me. Now... And then do you see older players who show him grips and, uh, well, I'm not quite sure how it works. Would Bruce Yardley be a player who would have seen or would it be people like, uh, you know... Might have been, was it Bruce Jenner, um, the coach that ah, uh, was that, always very influential on him and first taught him how to grip the ball yeah. and how to spin it. And remember the, I think Bruce's story is also telemovie worthy because he had a, a roller coaster ride. I think he spent some time in yes, jail. Yes, correct, yeah. correct. Now, would Kerry O'Keefe be a person who ABC listeners may know as, would he be involved in it in some way? As a consultant? Uh, well, or, certainly or as, as an a actor. Well, <laughs> well, I'm not sure about the latter, but certainly as a consultant. Um, but there, I mean, he obviously lived in Sydney and played out of Sydney and of course uh, Warney famously of course comes and plays for Victoria yeah look Um, I I think you'd want as many spin bowlers as you could get in the writers room just to consult on the art of spin to get in the mindset of what it Mm -hmm. is to be a spin bowler for Australia so obviously we can't get Richie anymore but certainly someone like um, Peter Taylor yeah Peter Taylor or how about Greg Matthews Greg Matthews would be very keen to lend his thoughts on the Warney Telly movie Ashley Mallett Ashley Mallett still with us I think he is the trouble is who are we going to get to play Warney and some of the other big names you know would um, Daryl Hare the umpire be around <laughs> in that time and would he get a look in well I'd um, like, I would like to see Daryl Hare represented I'd like to think the guy that plays Harold Bishop in Neighbours would have a Daryl Hare in him yeah I'm sure that's would the case would he now warning then, himself such important casting now let's I'm assuming Shane himself has made himself unavailable or is he available to play himself in his own telemovie uh, because well, I think he's got the skills. I don't think he's interested, really. He's not interested. No, he's not interested. But then would we have to look overseas? I mean, would uh, Phil Tufnell be young enough? Because he'd have obviously bring a, a great sense of credibility to, to it, the role. Being a, being a spin bowler himself. Yeah, I don't know what his acting chops are like. No, uh, or do you go the other way? Someone you, like Tom Hiddleston or something. Yes, and we like teach a, him how to bowl. Yeah. Which is obviously the way around it. I think that's easier than teaching a cricketer how to act. Yeah. <laughs> Hey legends, why not go dragon boat racing? Dip an oar in the soup with the We Was Robbed crew. Up front on the stroke, Chris Taylor. And bludging up the back of the barge on the big beats, HG Nelson. Ah yes, this is We Was Robbed with Chris Taylor and HG Nelson. Hope you're having a oh, just a wonderful start to your weekend uh, here on Saturday morning on Kindling Now. 
I know it's sort of we're entering summer here, HG, and everyone's sort of got their head in horse world, <laughs> even cricket world, but let's let's not pretend that people just put away their footballs entirely. I mean, rugby league's already looking at a very big 2017, isn't it? And on the way to 2017, of course, there's the Four Nations Tour, which uh, the Kangaroos, our our representatives at the test level, they've started their uh, tour of England with a win. Doing very well. Yeah, against Hull. Um, and uh, now New Zealand have played England, and I think Australia plays New Zealand in their next match. It might, in fact, be on the, this evening or this weekend. But um, get this. Um, all the players now have patches on them, uh, described here in the paper as a unique insignia worn by some kangaroo players for the first time last weekend against the Kiwis, last set against the Kiwis. It's the brainchild of Coach Mal Meninga, who wants greater recognition for players who reach milestone tests. Mm. So they've got a little kangaroo then sergeant stripes underneath it. Yeah, it it's sort of like military ranks. Military Depending ranks, how that's how many right. test matches you played? Correct. So Cameron Smith, Jonathan Thurston, Cooper Cronk, uh, wore specially marked sleeves. The debutantes had clean sleeves, while more seasoned players will wear different coloured patches depending, or, mm. you know, different coloured sleeve patches depending on how many tests they've played. The sleeves change when players reach 20, 30, or 40, or 50 tests. So it's a complicated series of things, and 50 tests is an awful lot of tests. Well, you'd need a long I mean, sleeve to fit the patch on. You would, you would. Now, I'm just wondering if this is enough. Now, we have enormously good technology. You know, our, I was thinking of fairy light system is the best in the world. It is. And I'm just wondering if... the new $5 note also just going through the roof? Correct. With the sort of uh, technology, technology and the hologram technology. I know. Now, I'm just wondering if, if we said we had a 50-test player, whether their jumper could be like the rhinestone cowboy for those who know... Lights up. Lights up. That's right. That's right. Or they'd start off with sequins or something like that. They're reflected, obviously, in the, you know, in the light. So that might be the test, a ten-test jumper. Yes. And then there might be one that was, um, you know, say, um, enabled you to charge your mobile phone, for instance. Yes. You know, that yeah. would be the twenty-test. In a scrum, jumper. you go, hey, can I just plug my phone into <laughs> your jersey? Yeah. Looks <laughs> like you've got quite good charge there because yeah, right. you played fifty tests. Yeah, that's right. So I, I, these are just a few ideas I've got. Um, in terms well, of trying we, to really celebrate Australian rugby league. If we uh, if we want to continue the the military motif further, uh, what about medals? Um, now, sure, what, you what? might say that's going to be a heavy handicap for a player. <laughs> Would they wear them while wear them while they're playing? So you know, it might be um, you get a what let's call it the the star of Meninga. <laughs> if you've played ten. Tests yes. might be the star of Laurie Daly, if you play, etc. Et yes, so There'd be an, yeah. an Arthur Beetson star, and all, yeah. and you just wear your ranks. And so, you know, like Anzac Day, where you see really decorated veterans quite weighed down with all their uh, their medals. I'd love to see, because it would be intimidating it, to yeah. the New Zealanders, because you know New Zealanders have their haka. They're already in that sort of military war-like mm. mentality themselves. But if we met that with literal medals on our jerseys as they go out to take the field, I think that would send a very strong message of competitiveness. It certainly would, and I'm just wondering exactly what whether they would be difficult to tackle or are we getting some advantage out of this, wearing the medals? Well, or? Yeah, you don't want them to dangle too much, you don't, do you? No. Like in a, in a scrum situation mm. or, or, get, or take an eye out in a, in a tackle or something. Mm. They need to be... But nor do I want them to be... 
you know, what's the word? I don't want them to be look look a bit tame. Yeah, they really need to, to look intimidating and, you know, really properly decorated metal. Now, can I just ask is, you know, Australian Rugby League's been, you know, it, it was developed in 1908. People forget that. Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering if people now who would have played lots of tests in the past feel a bit put out by this, mm. you know, like... Uh, you get a retrospective patch. Is that what you're wondering? <laughs> well... Yeah. I'm just wondering if you could, if uh, you know, maybe put it on your jacket or your your blazer. Series, your blazer. Well, yeah, the blazer isn't necessarily the most popular form of garment no, to wear these not. days. In fact, do the players uh, wear blazer to and from the game? Uh, at, at a test match. Uh, good question. I think the cricketers Some, still do, and I, don't I think know rugby rug- union people do. But they, uh, are they bought in blazers? Yeah, rugby union right, players, right. but rugby league, I don't know. I think sometimes they come in their tracksuits. <laughs> Um, Which is sort of rugby league equivalent of a blazer. Look, the the downside of the patch system, and I don't know if there's been any uh, media commentary along these lines, is it's it creates what I'd categorise as a potentially harmful hierarchy in Excellent. the team. Excellent. Like there's a junior player debuting for Australia. It's probably the biggest moment in his life. But if he's made to feel somehow inferior mm. to other players who mm. he's lining up with, that's going to start playing mind games, isn't it? it? It certainly is. And I've got to say is that I, I do feel as though, can I describe this as a little bit try-hard? Uh, <laughs> Australians egalitarian joint. Yeah. yeah, witness the Melbourne Cup. Uh, trying to mark players out as being more important than mm. others, I think he's yeah. not in the spirit. I guess well, you're not um, marking them out as more important. You're just marking them out as older. <laughs> That was the foghorn of football fun on the pirate ship. We was robbed. All aboard! On Kindling Kids Radio, you are listening to We Was Robbed with Chris Taylor and HG Nelson this morning. And look, uh, is it time for some science, HG? Well, I think so, because the Rugby League, uh, in the previous uh, chat, we were talking about the the patches that mark out players' seniority. Well, now this is something that's going to bring everybody back to the same level, because we're going to talk about, wait for it, below, below zero cryotherapy. And the former NRL star Ben Ross is pioneering this below zero cryotherapy. He's using this revolutionary technique. It's a cooling process as part of the rehabilitation on his right arm after a snap by Wendell Saylor during a wrestling arm wrestling contest in uh, on Channel Nine. Now, hang on, now, this is some time ago. I do remember that. That was yeah, a, it was a very odd event. A very ugly, difficult to watch live moment. Where yeah, I think it was an arm wrestling contest, and Wendell Wendell was the person that snapped someone else's. Correct. He snapped Ben Ross's. That's arm. right. And, and, so, and then the noise was just a terrifying thing. And the other thing was that there was some sort of joke faux competition whereby they had a number of people coming along week by week by week. That's right. I think Freddie Vorton might have been behind it. Freddie Vorton, It, it yes. had his fingerprints all over uh, yes. it. It was that sort of, you know, boyish lad zone arm wrestling contest, which ended horribly, as most things Fatty turns his hand to tend to. Now, he, uh, Ben Ross can't pick up his kids anymore. The one thing that killed me out of all this was that my daughter, Luca, who was four months when it happened, and now she's nearly two. So obviously it's happened 16 months ago, and I haven't been able to pick her up and throw her around like I want to. Like a dad, really. When I'm throwing them in the pool, I've got to do it with the other arm. I've just moved house, trying to renovate, cut down trees. I need mates to do that for me. Uh, Now, the men of league have helped 
Ben Ross, the former uh, Queensland Origin prop, with his uh, obviously medical expenses. And in the past month, he started using the below zero cryotherapy machine. Uh, this is used by American footballers like uh, Denver Broncos, basketball star LeBron James, uh, football sensation Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo apparently used it. It's a very dear, it's a 100,000 liquid nitrogen machine. It's bought to Australia by boxer Billy Dibb, mm. who discovered it after using one owned by Floyd Mayweather in the States. Is this just a fancy ice bath? It's a fancy ice bath, but it's got liquid, liquid nitrogen. Liquid nitrogen. Now, now, kids will know if they've enjoyed the work of Adriano Zumbo uh, over the, the last past year. Liquid nitrogen is often used in the kitchen. Mm. Um, Heston Blumenthal, I think, is very pioneered, pioneered the use mm. of uh, liquid nitrogen for making ice cream and freezing things very quickly. I've always been led to believe you should never get your skin anywhere near it. Like, in fact, if you try to, not many kids will do this, but if you order a drink made by, I think even New South Wales banned bartenders using it. Uh, because it was considered so dangerous. Or if you do use it, you've got to put special gloves on or something like that. Now, are these men just jumping in au naturel into the cryotherapy chamber? The cryotherapy chamber, obviously, the liquid nitrogen is in a sealed surround. Oh, they're not diving into the and what I call the dry ice magic powder. <laughs> 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 they're not. They're not uh, jumping into the uh, di uh, mp uh, <laughs> straight away. Uh, Gibb says it's been amazing. I've used it for the past four weeks, and I've, it's been really incredible. Uh, they only spend three minutes in the machine once a week. Ugh. It helps because it's not only an area of targets. It gets the shoulder and, and the elbow, as well as obviously uh, taking it all in, in, in because you submerge, basically. It goes better than other rehab techniques. You tend to work on, with those techniques, you tend to work on one spot. The below zero cryotherapy allows the whole arm to recover. When I was playing, they used to have ice bars. So you're bars. just dipping your arm in? Or no, they're going right in. It whatever you... goes in gets fixed. Correct. <laughs> Correct. So if your whole Correct. body's feeling wrecked. Well, I think what happens is he's got a shoulder. Um, well, his arm snapped, so it's affecting his shoulder. And he can't get the rehab that he wants to on his whole left side. So he dips that into the below zero cryotherapy chamber. And apparently he feels better afterwards. Is that right? That's right. Now, uh, he when Only they were three playing, minutes, it's efficient. I know. It's incredibly efficient. Well, if he spent 10 minutes, would he be cured? Well, do I, <laughs> or, or you can have too much of a good thing. I think so. Now, when I was playing, we used to have ice baths, which get to minus 15 degrees and can often be, be un- unhygienic. And this, uh, this the, the uh, below zero cryotherapy, gets to minus 120 degrees. And you're in there on your own, so it's not as contaminated. I've got to say that's well, a... it's not good for team morale, though. No, I, no. I thought the ice bath was a very important part of post-match celebrations. Especially in rugby union. <laughs> um, if I was playing footy now, I'd be literally begging the club to get one of these. Uh, apparently, Cronulla Sharks forward Sam Tagatizzi used it. Um, Ross is delighted with the progress he's made in rehab. He says, I've got to, to get another two surgeries. God, he must have smashed his yeah. arm. There's a rod in there at the moment. They have to take it out, but because of the nerves around it, they'll need to get specialists who deals with moving tendons during the... Oh, no. Just want to get my arm right. Hopefully I can return a, after a few uh, operations to normal life. I used to surf every day, and he hasn't swum for 18 months. Can't so, swim. No. So it is amazing. So his arms are... Yeah, right. Well, isn't this interesting? I'd like to see... I mean, the... Uh, which paper have you got this from, HG? Uh, Daily Telegraph. I Daily think. Telegraph. I think it's that might Sydney. be an artist impression where they've... Ah! Oh. Where they've pretty much just put him in a... Uh, something that looks like an oversized 
tumbler. Well, milkshake. Milkshake can canister. Yeah. Black. Uh, I don't know if that. Do you think that it, that's that is an artist impression? I'm it assuming. must be. It because must be. I'd like to know what this looks like. Because as I said, you don't really want to get any skin at all in contact with liquid nitrogen. That that can really burn you. So they must have fashioned it, as you said, as a sort of hermetically sealed layer of liquid nitrogen, but then you're just inside water in terms of the actual bath. Well, it appears it's got a a, a plug hole here, which looks as though where the liquid nitrogen could go. The idea that he's in there in minus 30, oh no, minus 120. Minus 120, it's cold. (laughs) Minus 120. For three minutes a week. Um... People who have chronic fatigue, I understand, some people with chronic fatigue often get relief by having very cold um, baths, ice right. baths. And the, well, that, it keeps them up. Yeah, that's that right. It's a shock. Right. It's a shock right. to the system. It's impossible to sleep during a bath that cold. Exactly, yeah. Although I'm not sure that that's the only thing that happens when you've got chronic fatigue. No, I understand, fatigue, yeah. But it shocks the system into activity uh, because it's so cold. Now, I'm just wondering if that would have a, the, the below zero cryotherapy would have an application well, I there. I guess it's something, you know, that we can explore these issues on Weaver's Rob. I'm just wondering, I like everything about it except the idea that we're losing that team bonding that the ice bath gave us. Uh, is it possible to build a bigger one that could fit a whole team in? I think so. Even if a team doesn't have anything wrong with it at all, I'd still like to see them get in there amongst the dry ice. And now, robbers, it is time for Coach's Catflap, a regular powwow with the biggest brains of sport. Chris Taylor and HG Nelson with you here on Kindling Kids Radio. AFL. Yes, AFL. Well, look, this is a shock to me. Um, People who travel may... Uh, realise that there's a great AFL competition right across Asia, largely staffed by, or played, should I say, by expats who are there working or have decided to move to various parts of Asia. Yes. And um, the Singapore, sorry, the Vietnamese team is called the Vietnam Swans. And luckily enough, this year, uh, they had a very guest, a special guest, Tom Libertori from the Western Bulldogs come Mm. and play. He unexpectedly took the field uh, a few weekends ago while on holidays in Southeast Asia, reportedly booting a goal and spending time in the ruck. Now, you've got to understand that Liberatory is about a third the size of your average ruckman, (laughs) but he's a very excitable um, personality. It's not ideal... The Bulldogs list manager, Jason McCartney, joked uh, with the Melbourne radio people. He said, hopefully the Vietnam Swans have a good insurance. Liberatory and the Bulldogs teammate Luke Dalhouse were named in the Vietnam team's AFL championship campaign. Um, mm. And um, Yeah, look, I, I heard a bit of um, disquiet. I, I can never tell if it was jocular or not. If some people thought this was very poor form of him. Uh, I sort of saw it as a well, you know, funny... Uh, kind of nice gesture. Well, improving our relationships with Asia. Um, it's a sort of cross-cultural gesture to say, here I am, I'm a premiership-winning bulldog. Um, can I be a swan? Can I be a swan? Um, you know, just, just having a, you know, I don't know how hard they play the game over there. I assume it was played in a pretty competitive spirit, but he's, uh, I, I don't know the contractual restrictions ah, the contractual. placed on him mm. under his Western Bulldogs contract, but I thought, look, you know, if if let's put let's turn it around the other way, if a great um, Vietnamese uh, judoka came to Australia after winning you know his national title and just said, "Oh, I want to have a muck around with Josh, who we had on the show earlier," and if 
if he didn't do that, we'd think he's a bit of a... Yeah, stuck uh, up. He's a bit stuck up. Yeah, a bit full of himself. Yeah. No, nah, it's, it's fun. I should point out that the AFL competition in uh, Asia tends to involve um, a team from, say, Bali playing a team from Jakarta, Jakarta, playing a team from Singapore, playing a team from Manila. Oh, Lord help you if you're playing AFL in Manila. <laughs> anyway, yeah. and, uh, and so on. And, yeah. the, and they tend to be, as I said, staffed by Australians who Ex-pats have, ex- who's have some understanding of the game. But the obviously the Bulldogs are certainly worried about damage coming to Liberatory, which would prevent him from... Uh, about now, they all go back to the, for the pre-season. Well, They've I had have, their month off. Yeah, and, look, I, I would have thought one of the safest players, safest positions for a um, player post-season to be is on the football field. <laughs> like, compared to where most of them go, which is in, yeah, you know, true. odd nightclubs or all sorts of unspoken, uh, you know, sort of shenanigans on beach resorts or, you know, w- w- what have you. He was probably one of the best-behaved Mad Monday competitors could, of all for the Western Bulldogs. Yes, excellent. Well observed. Now, still in Asia, and an excellent story now is broken that the Gold Coast and Port Adelaide will play for AFL Premiership points in Shanghai on May the 14th next year. Uh, obviously, I think we've talked about this before, yes. the power of being the driving force yeah. behind taking the AFL to Asia. And the Round 8... Um, um, you know, well, clash is going to be in Shanghai. Yeah, with both teams having a bye the next week, so they can go up there, play the match, and then have a week of recovery. The match will be held in the Jiangwang Stadium, the venue that hosted an exhibition match in 2010 between Melbourne and Brisbane. Can't remember a thing about that game. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Wait for it, though. It even gets better. The stadium is used as a golf driving range mm. and will hold about 15,000 spectators after it's reconfigured. Uh, Gillam McLaughlin, AFL Supremo, uh, said the match is about showcasing our game to Australia's biggest trading partner and reaching out. Oh, and then you fall mm, asleep. Yeah, yeah. Now, is just taking the football up there enough? Should we take more than more. that? Now, would it be wise to send Shannon Noll to sing, say, the Australian National Anthem and the Chinese National Anthem? Yes. Would it be, could Guy Sebastian fill in if Shannon Noll wasn't available? They could do a duet. Or, or duet or Daryl Braithwaite, should those two greats not be available? Then... Should we be thinking about supplying pies at quarter time and half time and three quarter time? To the players or the crowd? <laughs> or both. Whoever wants one. <laughs> Whoever wants one. I hadn't thought of the players, but you're absolutely right. Certainly the crowd, to get them in the mood. Yep. Now, should we restrict the beers available to beers that are available at football in Australia? Meaning, should... Let's Lo- say, local lagers, mid-strength, <laughs> I think, as they're legally required to be served at the MCG or... Hmm. Uh, other other sporting stadiums. I, I think these are all great ideas. Now, should we send Craig Willis, who is the voice of the AFL up there, so they can hear, the people in Shanghai can hear and see Craig in action? Yes. Because obviously they've heard him on the television but not glimpsed him. In fact, uh, could you send the whole uh, Channel 7 commentary team, Bruce? Oh, and all get Dennis of, back for the day? Dennis back for the day to do a live commentary. You know, uh, on the on the sidelines there, on the boundary line, mm-hmm. if they could actually do a live call that was amplified and broadcast to everyone in the stand. Now, as I understand it, the Port Power people already broadcasting in Mandarin, I think. Then there's a number of languages they have to consider: Mandarin, Ch- yep. uh, Cantonese, and so on. Yeah, They're- but I think Bruce could do Mandarin. <laughs> 
Don't you? I think you'd have it in him. That's true. I mean, no one's ever thought to ask, but he'd have that skill in his his skill set. He would. He would. Look, can I just say, the thing that worries me is 15,000 spectators. Uh, I mean, you keep forgetting there's a billion people in China and in Shanghai. I'm not sure what the numbers of Shanghai are, residents are, but I've got a vague feeling they're over the 20 million. So 15,000 seems an incredibly small number. It's almost insulting, isn't it? It is. It is. We're coming, but we're not really here. And can I point out also that would there be 15,000 expats working in China or Asia close by? Oh, easily. See, Hong Kong's got quite a lot. Hong Kong would have thousands. It would. Yeah, I'd say at least 50,000. Then Shanghai and Beijing would have another... Yeah, no, lots of it. But you don't want to just go there and play to Aussies. That's what worries me, though. I'd almost have a a screening process at the turnstile. (laughs) (laughs) If you know how to hold a pair of chopsticks, you're not allowed in. Yeah, that's right. Well... Well, sorry, the other way around. around. Yeah, Yeah. if you you know what a pie is, off you shoot, buddy. Yeah, exactly. Now, look, the other thing is, I'm just wondering if... Um, 15,000. I mean, I just hope they've got some way... Is that, is that the capacity of the stadium or just their expectation? Because uh, I think... Good question. I think they could get a... I think they could go for something more ambitious here. Well, look, can I, I do... I thought 40,000, something like that. And even if it means putting a bit of table tennis as part of the, you know, the undercard, mm-hmm. you know, get some local sports in just to soften the crowd up, a bit of judo, <laughs> and then bring out the AFL, like make it a real day, a festival of sport. Yes, well... A bit I... of monster truck action. <laughs> now, now, look, a golf driving range. They're pretty yep. big. Is that going to be still in, in operation during the game? I think so. <laughs> We are all on the same page, but it's the wobbly page stuck to the bottom of the wobbly boot on We Was Robbed. Uh, on Kindling, look, just a little bit of housekeeping here, HG. We've had quite a few texts uh, coming through correcting a little slip that I made earlier when I referred to Shane Warne's spin bowling coach as Bruce Jenner. Well, if only. <laughs> Now, the person I meant to say was Terry Jenner. Terry Jenner, yeah. Um, Bruce Jenner, of course, was a... Uh, Decathlete, uh, I a think. former Olympic US athlete who got involved with the Kardashian family and has subsequently transitioned to become Caitlyn Jenner. Now, I don't know if Bruce or Caitlyn Jenner have ever sat down with Shane to talk about spin. I'd love to think they have. Um, obviously, Bruce slash Caitlyn was very adept in uh, athleticism uh, themselves, so maybe... They would have had some insights. I tell you what, it'd make a great sort of what I'd call uh, ten o'clock scene, as yes. in you know that pivotal scene where obviously Shawnee's, uh, Shawnee's Shane Shawnee. Let's invent a new word. Uh, Finds Warnie's, himself in a nightclub. That's right. The that's lights right. are quite dim. That's right. And perplexed by the battle he's got to choose between cricket and football. Oh, and I thought you were going to say meets an uh, attractive lady oh, oh, sorry. across the bar. Yes, no, sure, sure. Well, that comes later. That, this is a 10 o'clock scene. Yeah, that's right. Shane thinks, hello, mm. uh, this person's giving me the eye. Yeah, that's right. Uh, he gets talking and suddenly... One thing leads to another. does. Mm. Excellent. Turns now, out Caitlyn Jenner has a lot of advice on spin bowling. Now, of course, uh, we've got to pack up here because the birthday party songs are coming up. Oh, yes. But uh, the, can I just push out... Uh, or give a shout out to the football museum. This is the soccer. This is the uh, oh, yeah. Socceroos football museum, and the shirt in which Ange Postecoglou got up drenched during his uh, the um, the recent win in Abu Dhabi has been framed and is up for auction in aid of White Ribbon. 
For the record, it was laundered after, though, the evidence remains of humidity of the night. The FFA, according to these uh, correspondents, suggests they should buy it uh, from the White Ribbon auction uh, for a initial item in the football museum. Isn't that a beautiful thought? It's a lovely thought, combining many things. If flops and fiascos, botches and breakdowns are your go, We Was Robbed is your show. Well, look, uh, there you have it. As I see, the uh, there's not much uh, time left at all on the metre once again. No. So, uh, HG, how are you planning to spend uh, the rest of your weekend? Well, I've got a busy weekend. I'm, I'm still so taken by the fishing yeah. stories that have come out of Canberra, which we didn't get a chance to talk to about today. I'm going fly fishing in Lake Eucumbine. Well, that's an excellent idea. And I might, um, I might dangle a line in just at Sydney Harbour. <laughs> just see what I pull up. Maybe a shark. Uh, but thank you so much for your company, as always this Saturday morning on Kindling Kids Radio. On behalf of H.G. Nelson and myself, it's been a pleasure uh, to have you along for the ride and we'll catch you again same time, same place next week. Until then, bye now. That's it for this week, Robbers. The boys will be back next Saturday from 8am. Remember, you can relive all the action by heading to our website, kindling.com.au.